0: to SkewCast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SkewCast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SkewCast is the official podcast of Common Skew. Nate Bailey is founder and president of Ideation Creative Brand Management out of Portland, Oregon. Nate began his career, just like many of us do in this business, as a solopreneur. Over the past three years, Nate has tripled his growth, his team, and has emerged from solopreneur to sales leader and coach. In today's episode, we talk about this journey from salesperson to CEO, the struggles and triumphs of those early days, and challenges around cash, biggest mistakes, learning how to scale, and we discuss one of Nate's favorite topics and something he does really well that might be helpful to you sales forecasting. Hi friends, I'm Bobby Lee, who is the Chief Content Officer at CommSkew. This episode is brought to you by CommSkew, the platform that powers your connected workflow, enabling you to process more orders and dramatically grow your sales. Now here's my conversation with Nate Bailey. Give us an idea of where you were as an entrepreneur when you and I first met. I was a
1: scared new father who had just started ideation in 2009 during what I came to find out and did not know when I started it, the probably in the realm of the three worst years to start a promotional products agency with the economy. Right. right. Um, and started it as a salesperson, not as a entrepreneur or anything like that, just a salesperson who needed to maximize their
0: income Right. Of you um, your business, but you just approached it like a sales guy
1: yeah i you know I was right. going to be a one man show. I remember thinking at the time, if I could do this and I could just sell eight thousand dollars gross a month, that would pay for the mortgage and buy groceries. I had a right. child in two thousand and seven my wife wasn't working. Um, So, you know, things were dire. Um, And I briefly worked for somebody as an independent contractor. And so when I started, that's the only network I had. And so when I started Ideation, I had no network, nobody to um, mentor me. It was before Promo Kitchen existed. Thank God for Promo Kitchen. It was uh, before there was a mentorship program in any regard, whether it's Promo Kitchen or PPAI or anything. So. Um, I got on Twitter and, and was running my mouth about the industry, trying and trying to learn and you followed me. Uh, and I thought I knew of you through publications, uh, ASI and PPAI publications and counselor magazine and stuff like that. And so I, th- I think I tweeted, uh, I must be doing something right as a, as a newbie in this industry If Bobby, Bobby's following me. So, um, <laughs> So I think I DM'd you and I think this was about October of 2009. And I think I DM'd you, uh, before DMing was cool and said, Hey, I'm new to this industry. Uh, I would love to buy you breakfast and just pick your brain. And I think that's, uh, we met in Las Vegas at PPI expo Expo and that's, uh, had breakfast together and, and then you, you know, were kind enough to speak wisdom and truth and life and build a relationship with me. And then that led to, to, Uh, Me getting to know, you know, what I call the Mount Rushmore of our industry of uh, (laughs) Danny Rosen and and Mark Graham. So, uh, you know,
0: but you know what that that's um you're always real careful to like give you know thanks and credit to folks that have mentored you. But most of the power and mentorship resides in the mentee themselves. The fact that you were hungry enough to reach out, regardless of whether it was Moon or Mark or Danny, whoever, the fact that, that that hunger resided in you to such a degree that you were going to take risks of all kinds. And that um, to me has always been uh, like, that's that's the whole power and promise of the Promo Kitchen Mentor Mentee, mentee Program is that really the, 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 the results reside in the ambition, eagerness and openness of the mentee, not the mentor and the fact that you reached out that way with everyone was, was I think, just open doors for you. Um, not just that, but yeah, it, it, I think what I'm trying to say is that like an indication of your ambition and yeah, what I you wanted to do.
1: I think that if you operate as I operate, knowing that I'm never the smartest person in the room, yeah, um, and the right. and 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 I'm not the, um, I'm not intelligent enough to create. Um, the best way to do it, but I'm, uh, but I know that other people have done it really well and uh, I'm willing to leave my ego at the door. Um, I think there, you you can rapidly increase your success by asking for help. And there are, are, there are lots of people like you and Danny and Mark who, um, are willing to do it. If you just ask and, you know, our biggest thing, even at ideation internally, as we've grown and have some really successful people is we'll take the time to mentor anybody, but, you know, we're not going to tell you how to do it, how to coach you. If you're not willing to put in the work, walk away from the meeting and and then put the work in, you know? And so, you know, you can, you can lead a horse to water as they say, um, but you can't make him drink. And so luckily, you know, if you were willing to spend time and, and like I said, at the time, you know, I, I was desperate to take care of a family. And so, yeah, uh, you know, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, selves, right?
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know that's the, that's a great motivator, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, so okay. I was trying to find anybody I could to help me.
0: For those that don't know you paint the picture where we're at now compared to that young Nate Bailey starting out in the business.
1: Yeah. I mean, we started in 2009 and we, you know, did less than a hundred thousand dollars in sales and, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, finish, uh, you know, we're going to finish 2019, you know, well over three, three million dollars, three and a half million dollars. And so, um, and you know, we, a lot of fortunate things have happened that accelerated our growth and, and, you know, you know, I'm a sports guy, like uh, we talked about earlier. And, and so my analogy is that Stacy Garrett came to our company. So we signed the Kevin Durant, the LeBron James of free agency, in 2017.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Well, you're Oklahoma. So you've got oh, dealt gosh. with the Kevin Durant issues. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, you know, so then that changed the course of the history of, uh, ideation and where, what we were able to the, the speed at which we were able to scale and what we were able yeah. to do. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the moral of the story and we can get into the story is that, um, you know, a good guy who cared kind of won, uh, or at least got a break.
0: Yeah. I, 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 but I also want to go back to those first times we met for breakfast and we did that. Uh, I don't remember how many years we did that every year at expo sort of became our place where we connected. Yeah. You, you have not changed internally from that person I knew back then in the sense that that was always a part of you. I don't, I don't know if you remember how much of that was a part of your ambition was to build this business. So that, you know, that was a part of your DNA back then. And, um, and I remember it cause I don't know if you remember, I would come in with a different set of problems than you had. And mine had to do with, you know, managing 20 to 30 people and just the, the overwhelming, uh, overwhelming nature of the type of business we were in with everything. And I would bitch and complain to you and you'd help me Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I would help you. And we wanted to like do one of those freaky Friday kind of things, or we wanted to switch places, you -hmm. know, um, all, all the time. Um, so that was, that always resided in you. What, so your journey from solopreneur to today, what were a few of those major turning points? I, um, you always said Stacy, well there a couple yeah, of Yeah,
1: so well, yeah, I mean leading up to that, you know, we started as a solopreneur. Um, you know, I added a friend of mine Matt who's still with us. He's been here 7 8 years. Um so really the story starts with ideation being him and I. I was yeah. trying to sell and run a business. Uh, in terms of the proper way to run a business, uh, you know, I told people I was trying to outsell my stupid. I was robbing the I was robbing the business of its cash. I was trying to, you know, when you're a growing solopreneur, one of the problems that distributors have is their accounts payables for the next year are more than their previous month's accounts receivables at, yeah. if they are growing. So if you're adding more business and adding more customers, you then add more accounts payable, but your accounts payable and when you're, you know, small and new, you're either have no credit and are pre-paying everything or, Yeah. yeah, so... Uh, so I was, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul and I was, uh, pay and pray, which is my term that I tell people, you know, San would call and say, you owe us money. And I would say checks in the mail. And then I would hope and pray that, uh, a client's check would arrive to cover that check. So, uh, you know, it's the wild, wild west of running a business. And that's a lot of times I think salespeople who get into this business are salespeople. They're not business operators. Um, yeah. So we operated that way for a while until finally I got smart. My father-in-law actually uh, is still with us. He's our pseudo CFO, joined the organization just to help me. I think he was basically nervous for his daughter and grandchild more than anything. (laughs) Right. Um, And I think he saw what you saw, a guy with ambition and a guy with drive and a guy that could go out and sell, but didn't really know how to operate a business or at least a budget. And so he came from Procter and Gamble and managed a huge budget and people and all that stuff. And so yeah. we laid down the foundation of operating a business, a very small business, you know, two, three, four three, $400,000 business as a big business. And so, yeah. um, you know, we we set sales goals and and not only goals just to say, well, this would be nice to do, but actual forecasts where we sp- spent time looking at who our current customers were, what we thought we were going to do with them. And then, you know, the most important painstaking part of it all is that we set a budget. And so we knew we anticipated the money that was going to come in and we set that low and we anticipated the money that was going to go out and we set that high and yeah. we monitored it closely uh, and made adjustments based on you know, how those things came to be. And so yeah. we still do it to this day and it's uh and it's really been a defining um portion of what I think has allowed us to go from, you know, three people and a million dollars in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen to ten people and three a little over three and a half million dollars four years later. <laughs> and being able to take on, you know, basically tripling in revenue and tripling in people in yeah. In a very short order, being able to handle that elephant, eating that elephant. Yeah.
0: Let's go back to sales forecasting for a minute because we're both passionate about this topic. And that was something that we did all the time, obsessed about the numbers and looked at those. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about this sales forecasting? For one thing, a lot of folks don't in the industry don't really do sales forecasting. And, and why do you think that is?
1: I think that because it's hard work. It takes time to stop. Yeah. It, it requires you to come into the office between Christmas and New Year's when it's really quiet and not take time off and think about, this is what I did le- this last year. And this is yeah. what I believe is I'm going to do. You know, we don't look at it month by month, although we do look at it month by month, but we break it down by customer. So, I mean, I'm looking back, okay, what did I do with this customer in January, February, March, April, May, all the way through in every customer yeah. Yeah. and have an understanding of um, what it is that we've done, what, What's the, you know, if you do a million dollars, let's just throw round numbers out. If you do a million dollars one year, but 250,000 of it was a one-time project because one of your clients had a rebrand or a huge anniversary, you better not put a million dollars down as your next year's budget, unless you can figure out where you're going to make up that $250,000. And so, yeah,
0: Yeah.
1: and and then there's other, you know, you start as you get into this business. I had a client, a, a huge hospital that basically ordered every other year. So they'd order a ton in 2016 and that would sustain them through 2017. So we did business with them um, in in the following year, but it wasn't like the previous year. So I knew that there was kind of a cycle of, you know, what that was going to look like. You know, they went from a hundred thousand dollar client to a $40,000 client. So, you know, you just have to understand that and then you have to prepare for it. And the thing I like about sales forecasting is, If you know what you intend to do and you think about it, you can't have an unsuccessful year, even if your numbers are down. If you planned on that number, then it was a successful year because you said looked at your business. I think the big thing is don't let your your falling numbers be an excuse of why you're not getting new business. Um, And that's the key. Right. And so I tell my sales team now all the time, like if you planned on doing $30,000 this month, but it didn't come through, that's like not an, Oh shoot, we missed it. That's I better go flip over some rocks and, you know, on the pavement and find out where I'm going to make up that business. So, um, it's just a great roadmap to where you are and where you want to go and what you can physically do. And I'm a huge proponent of work. I hate the term work-life balance. Um, I want people to go on vacation and have lives. So I think it sets up a good foundation of where you plan to be and when and when your busy time is and when you're, you're going to have yeah. slow time. And when you have a sales forecast, you can also figure, okay, my February is pretty slow. So I'm going to do a lot of content producing. I'm going to do a lot of marketing. I'm going to you know, do some yeah. LinkedIn posts. I'm going to use that slow time to really work on business development, where a lot yeah. of people, I think, work on business development unplanned when they are slow so right
0: right uh, what i love it too you know, we both know this you have residual customers but you don't have residual projects and there's so many projects you know you have those same events the customer has an event coming up and they'll do it again but looking at those details particularly for your top clients um or, or the fact that you did this for most of your clients is amazing that you looked at to those details to determine where the gaps are going to be in the calendar year coming up um because it's, it's like this lie we tell ourselves as people that I have no time to work on business development. And yet if you look back at the numbers and the number of orders and, and you'll see this cycle, you'll see this graph of up and down sales and you'll see these windows where they had opportunity. Um, wh- what did sales forecasting help you do better in terms of business development? I know you already talked about time and where you could focus. But did it start painting a more honest picture to you about the, the bandwidth you had? for business development?
1: Uh, I think that sales forecasting more than anything allows you to start defining who your best customer is and who you want to work yeah. with right? Um, because you're reflecting and we call it weed and feeding here uh, our customers to say who who is a great customer who's our ideal customer who loves us wants our ideas you know isn't worried about necessarily you know the best price but you know that our ideal customer is and it also allows us to work at okay these are some these are some orders i took this last year that were not a lot of money and a whole lot of time and the client's not really that fun to work with so um, those reflections you know allow you to remove every single human being that you talk to in your sales world as Faces with dollar signs in their eyes and actually yeah. look at them and say, is this the best customer for me that A, I want to work with for the financial purposes, but B, I just want to work with because their company yeah. is awesome and I love that brand and I love those people that work there and I'm a passionate about their mission statement and all those kind of things. And before Stacy came here, when Stacey and I just got together, you know, just to chat about life and business was that she was passionate about all of her customers that she worked with and really deeply cared about them. And she went after customers that she felt like she could impact because she knew the brand, loved the brand. And so, you know, that's kind of how we looked at our sales forecasting too, is to go through who you're working with. It is just isn't yeah. a good fit. And it's okay to tell customers no, or we, you know, we're not the best person or yeah, you know that customer. Every time you send them, spend an hour and send them ideas, and they call back and said, "I found this on Four Imprint for you know, <laughs> right. way less." Like that may yeah. not be the best customer, even, right. you know.
0: So I love, I love your I love your phrase, weed and feed. You have helped really help us understand that sales forecasting is not as much about future telling as it is about clarity. And once you get that type of clarity with the type of clients you want to work with, and weed and feed as you say, then you are sales forecasting in a sense you're sort of creating your future in that sense um, well,
1: the, key, the key to weed and feed is that every cl- customer takes up time so if you have a high a high time demanding customer that is a low dollar volume producer what could you replace that time with to go after another fifty thousand dollar customer or thirty thousand yeah. dollar customer um, yeah. that's average order size is $1,800 and good margin as opposed to, you know, a bunch of $400 orders that you're having to yeah, babysit and all that stuff. So that's what you I like it. about weed and feeding.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm a big fan of opportunity cost of money and opportunity cost of time. So it's yeah. looking at your opportunity cost of time.
0: Since we've been connected for all this time, you know, I've, I've been able to watch your progress from the outside in and sometimes, you know, knowing more details, What's your role in the company now, and how's that changed through this growth journey of yours from solopreneur to where you're at today?
1: Well, I still uh, write a book of business. I write close seven hundred fifty thousand dollars this year was the first year ever, so twenty nineteen, that I hired a account coordinator, sales assistant. We call them account coordinators here. So right. I basically operated, uh, managed my entire book of business all by myself up until this year, um, which <laughs> That's is. That's which is an interesting story. Um, And so I do, I still spend a lot of time um, with key customers, my key customers. Um, But the rest of my time is made up of coaching our team um, and coaching one-on-ones with our account managers, meeting with our account coordinators. Um, The way we operate, we have a position here that's kind of like an office manager. They're the only role in our entire organization that operates both in the sales department and the kind of business finance operations department. And yeah. so we are constantly meeting because her and I are the only two people that have our hands in, at our organization in both of those divisions. So I spend a lot of time vision forecasting where, where I want to go and where I want us to go as a team. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of this all is, is the coaching aspect of it. Um, yeah. I was about to
0: guess that. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, um, and so uh you know, I love sitting down with Stacey and talking about her, her business and her customers and her, you know, time management, um, which she's great at. But, you know, just she's got more work than she has time.
0: Even the ball and James needs a, needs a coach. So everyone yeah. needs a coach.
1: Right. Uh, or a counselor.
0: You know, yes, it's often (laughs) one and the same, but it's all about perspective, right? It's just helping someone, helping shape your their perspective. Yeah, and
1: that's my most favorite favorite part of of having a team is getting to know people personally, what they want to do professionally, where they want to be. Do they want to be here forever? Is this a stop along their journey? And um, you know, we always tell people like I, I don't want anybody here that's unhappy. So um, yeah. you know, I'm here to help them be happy, whether that's a different job, but, you know, not being here as much, whatever the case may be. And so I love that part of it. I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk fan, and um, yeah. and so I listen to him and and have taken a lot from him in terms of how to um, listen and empathize with people. And so that's my favorite part. I still love the the big picture sales stuff. Um, I am glad that I don't have to write orders or um, you know, keep track of tracking numbers and proofs and all that, that I have somebody to do that now, which I, I think had, I done it, the great thing about common skew. And I know we're not talking about common skew, but, the great thing about common skew is for a solopreneur, it allows you to do more business faster, without having to increase your overhead by having somebody assist you until you right. want somebody to assist you. Yeah. Um, the bad thing about common skew is that it allows you to do that. So. Uh, <laughs>
0: so- <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So yeah, for too long. Long. doing that for
1: too long right? exactly, exactly exactly so <laughs> so the best thing I did was bring on uh, Allie, who's my account coordinator who really is keen in being able to I mean we have clients now that I you know we had to figure out a, a work process because we had clients now that love Allie so much that they just write her directly and say hey I've got this project yeah. and all of a sudden I'm yeah. looking in our I'm looking at my dashboard and looking at these sales orders that are being written that I don't have any idea what yeah the project was or what the request was or anything. So, yeah. um, and she's great like that, but so that's what I, thank goodness for common skew and my ability to look on what's going on inside the business, or I'd have no idea what, <laughs> what she was writing. In, yeah. Uh, is great. <laughs> it's like, Oh wow. $6,000. I had no idea that a customer even wanted that. So that was my six forecast.
0: <laughs> you know, what's um, interesting to me too, is that here's this kid in high school that took a diversion from sports because you were at this massive school and you were and you were um wanting to be an athlete but suddenly you winnowed out because of size now you have this kid that as in his heart probably always wanted to be in sports and now you're at you're coaching a team and i think this is an interesting part of your journey that maybe we all don't give enough credit to is some of those desires and dreams that you had because you could see that come through in your yeah, life today and-
1: and and as as i talk to other mentors local mentors and my father-in-law who's who helps me to this day um you know he references he 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 does a lot of analogies for me to understand because once again as i stated at the beginning of this podcast not very bright he makes it simple for me and he says you know if you are coaching a baseball team if you are coaching a you know basketball team this is how you'd want them to operate. If right. we were score, you know, a lot of he's we're big into scorecarding our operations here, and he says that if you are coaching your son's baseball team, which I do, and you know, you would want to know how many errors we had, how many hits we had, how many you know men did yeah. we leave on base. It's the same thing with business. You're just translating those r- runs, hits, errors, assists, block shots into business items and then, and yeah. then looking at your successes and failures of that. And so, um, yeah. yeah, I love the coaching aspect. I love helping people. Um, that's why I was passionate when I was a chef. Um, I miss being a promo kitchen chef cause I loved being a part of that. It's just, you yeah. have, uh, you know, the business grew faster than I had time between having a family sure. and all that yeah. stuff. So.
0: Yeah. But yeah, no, I you love that. Love- the whole sports and, I, and coaching analogy also keeps it out of the realm of the the uh, domineering boss, you do what I say. This is really more about um helping people realize their full potential, which is what a coach does. And that's that's right. awesome. What about favorite project that you you or your team have worked on recently?
1: We recently did a project for you know, one of the largest cloud computing software or companies in the world. Um they had a event in Portugal. They needed a hundred pieces and it was a twenty dollar budget. Um so, you know, not a huge project, but I think it goes to show how we think and how we operate. We ended up doing the polycarb wood combo handstand sunglasses, but then we added a, a full custom pouch, um, fully decorated custom pouch for them, and then stuffed the sunglasses in the pouch um, and delivered them. And it wasn't a huge project, it wasn't a lot of dollars, but that's just Kind of how you know it would have been easier, faster for the twenty you know two thousand dollar order um, to just take the sunglass order and deliver it. But you know we took the extra step. We did some design work internally here for the pouch, and uh, you know really kind of gave the customer a, a better, more retail experience than just sunglasses in a poly bag.
0: Um, what projects taught you most about the business this past year or or re- recent years?
1: Well, we made a big move in May from a small office that we originally operated in into a combo warehouse space. So we have warehousing now. And so we came into uh, this new office space in May and um, we tried to uh, really be everything to everyone, uh, warehousing, fulfillment all that kind of stuff. And that's a difficult, difficult business, as you know, from, from yeah. your previous job. And so we really had to take a look at what our, what we were really good at and what we didn't want to be good at or weren't good at. And, um, and then the technology we needed around it. And so I've spent a lot of time um, developing and understanding what is our sweet spot for fulfillment, how much do we want to take on per client and then putting the tech inventory technologies around that. Um, and then we uh, kit a lot. We do a lot of kitting here, custom kidding um, okay. yeah. and uh, understanding the labor, the time commitment, the margin that's in that uh, yeah. it's, it's more difficult than just selling a product at, you know, the industry margin and billing for it and invoicing for it. So, you know, you have to calculate labor costs and all that stuff, which as you know, you and I've had conversations about this and you've been instrumental in helping us figure out how to calculate those costs. So that kind of stuff is those kind of operating procedures and processes um, for me in general um, is difficult. Uh, And I'm the type of person that's like, let's just take care of the customer. Let's just take care of the customer. And which is great. And I fully believe in that. Um, I'm a big proponent of Warren Buffett's um, quote, you know, we can afford to lose money, a lot of money, but we can't uh, afford to lose any reputation, not even one ounce of it. And so yeah. we do a lot of things and we take care of the customers as you can. But, uh, you know, as a business owner, as somebody running, uh, you know, an organization with a lot of cash coming in and out of it with obligations, you can't just give away um You can't just give away costs and you can't give away uh, labor and stuff like that. So really, you know, the most difficult thing isn't a specific project, but it's our customers are asking us to do more for them because we do, I believe, such a great job for the basics that we are having to figure out the proper work processes to not only do that um, in a financially fiscal or financially, uh, a financial responsibility, but to do it in a way that our customers don't get mad at us, right? Because when you start adding services like kidding and boxing, putting things in a box and those types of things, um, you're taking more risk than just hoping that leads put stuff in a box properly and delivers it. Um, And so you better be able to, if you're going to tell a customer that you you can do something for it, you better be able to execute on that. And so I think a lot about that process.
0: Any incompetent any distributor has this happen to them where a customer is so becomes trust their services and their ideas and everything so much that they begin to ask more and more and more of them. Um, are you, I hear you kind of grappling with where's the line, um, or did you already wrestle with that? And do you, are you trying to just make sure you navigate that? You want to take care of the customer, but you also don't want to exceed. Um, any boundary that you have for making sure that your team is spot on with the things you do incredibly well or that you make the most profit from?
1: Yeah. We already wrestled with this in 2015 and 2016, we did a rebrand and in that rebrand, we, you know, constantly are thinking about our, our services and who we are and what we're, uh, uh, what we want to be. And, you know, I think a big topic of conversation in our industry in general is, where where does the promotional products business evolve to? um, What separates us from being an order taker a dot com? What can what are those things that we can do? And so, you know, as a young driven entrepreneur, we did a rebrand and we're having to unwind that even to this day. What our messaging was when we launched our new website and that we you know we were going to be an experiential agency and we were going to yeah go to hotels on behalf of customers and pick out restaurants to have the event and we were going to you know really be a full service agency and and you quickly realize for various reasons that those things are not what you want to do uh, for me i did not like a business that exchanged time for money uh it also caused me to have to travel a lot and you know all those kind of things so we really backed down on that we were doing event setups you know we had a customer that we still work with but they did their own trade show so we were doing you know on-site plannings and all the collateral and all the signage for it and all that stuff so so you know we went and ventured out kind of what i say outside of our lane and then we quickly decided we didn't like being in those other lanes and we shrunk back down to really what we what we are great at. And instead of being everything to everybody, which I think we all want to be, sometimes we decided let's be great at one or two things and be really, really great at it. And so we really focus on merchandise, branded merchandise, so promotional products, corporate apparel, and, and we really think about how to deliver that to our customers, um, in a, in a a more special way, um, than just, you know, taking an order and, and delivering it. So that's what we do now.
0: Along that lines then, um, now where you're at, where you've grown to, what is your differentiating factor now? What do you think comprises the ideation DNA? You
1: know, I think our secret sauce as we talk about it here is that we are, we care about our customers as people and we care about them as, um, as their projects. We come alongside them as an extension of their marketing department and we, um, you know, we really focus on customer experience and on customer service and that they constantly know what's going on with their projects and that we, um, that they don't ever have to wonder where things are at. Um, And I think the thing, the reason people come to us is because we are more than willing to do the extra work to provide creative ways to think about how to deliver something as opposed to just, you know, handing it out. We're willing to kit, we're we're willing to do add a hang tag. We're willing to store your product, send it out to your event and then take it back in. So I think, you know, a lot of what kind of, you know, we're small, we're big enough to handle any project in any size customer, but we're still in a lot of ways, small enough to be adaptable to the needs of our customer. And if if it makes sense for them and for us to, to do it, um, whatever the task is, then we will do it. And we're also willing to say, we're not the best to do that. But we want to be the resource to tell you who the best people are to go do that. And so we'll send customers to printers or you know experiential people who we know that may be a better fit to get them taken care of because at the end of the day, we just want to take care of our customers, and then we'll wait for the next promotional product order. Um, if we if we have to pass on something,
0: When has Common Skew enabled the business or you to become? Maybe enabled you as an owner to become. How's it? How has it powered you as an entrepreneur scaling a team?
1: Well, the the best thing about having Common Skew and having a team is using the dashboard and the reporting the reports to find out how the business is operating. Are we meeting our sales forecasts uh, on a daily, monthly, uh, yearly, weekly, even basis. Um, so, you know, that's the great thing about it, uh, for us is that I can check in, you know, from my desk. If, if, Matt has an issue, or Stacy has an issue, or one of our account coordinators have an issue with a job. I can hop into that sales order and see what's going on. If they don't know how to do something technical in Common Skew, I can, you know, get up from my desk and show them. You know, we have had some newer, a couple new people come in, and you know, there are some things that we do with Common Skew um, um, in managing people who want to be invoiced early, but they don't have product yet uh, for budgeting purposes. Yeah. And so how do we operate, you know, how we operate common SKU when we have those types of, of uh, requests from customers. And so um, that's what I like about it most is I can see, you know, at a 30,000 foot level, I can see the entire sales side of the business um, and that we can all work collaboratively as well. Um, you know, we just had a meeting um, earlier this week about you know we now that we're getting larger we're really becoming more um, you know working in silos so you know accounting departments and finance departments and yeah. operations departments yeah. and all that stuff but we still have to communicate to each other the sales side still needs to communicate to the yeah. accounting department who's sending out the invoices and so we're really starting to utilize the notes section internally on every order to tag people who need to be made aware so that yeah. You know the head knowledge isn't the head knowledge, and that and you know Haley isn't walking up and talking. Who's our account coordinator walking talking to accounting? And it's just a conversation that we're actually putting it in common skew so that for the history of the history of the history, no matter who's here, we can always see what happened with that order. Yeah. Um, and so we're really utilizing yeah. that as an organization, which I like, which I like a lot. And we can tag people in it when they when they need to be made known and so that's really been a yeah. huge success for us as we scale and i think understanding how to scale and how to departmentalize is a, is a huge um chore for a solopreneur to learn how to do because you know right. our natural instinct is we've done everything ourselves all by ourselves and we you know, we constantly yeah. want to have our hand in every aspect of the business and yeah. common skew really yeah. lets you see what's going on inspect what you expect as i say um, without actually having to micromanage.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like maintaining that intimacy of a small team or as a solo entrepreneur working with a few people to, as you grow then, it, being able to maintain that consistency of communication and where everybody's at and everything, that's huge.
1: Yeah. Every action we make operationally, we always ask the question, is this scalable? Because there are things yeah. we can do now that aren't scalable, um, but we can do it because we're still small enough to do it. But then yeah. multiply that problem out or that thing out by, seven more salespeople and seven more yeah. account coordinators. Now can we really do that special thing that we're doing for this client or for this sales rep or this employee? Yeah. So yeah, we asked that question quite a bit.
0: What's your heading into 2020? What's in your mind? What's on your brain as your, your overall strategy for sales and marketing?
1: We are big uh, in practicing what we preach Uh, here. And I think we think we believe that the best way to go to market uh, is to use what we do as a good way to do it to do it. So, um, you know, we have a birthday program, we have a program for our customers that we know are going on vacation that we recognize them with uh, have a great trip and a piece of swag. We have referral program that we send a person it's all card based and then you know it's a it's a it's a custom card that we've printed and made it's a you know we have a birthday one we have a referral one we have um we, we even have one for those few times a year that we mess up and so we really are focused on executing that consistently um and you know, when we get a new opportunity or a new buyer at a cus, either a new client or a new buyer at a current um, customer, you know, we send them a swag bag that's just like an onboarding bag um, that we want our clients to do when they have new hires. We send them a, a onboarding um, swag bag to welcome them to our team um, and really try and engrave them in. So we're really trying to focus on how, as we all get busy with taking orders and doing all the things that your typical day to, does how do we consistently execute on those kind of things and so that's what we spend a lot of time focusing on you know we've been around for 10 years but you know at a scalable let i was just was saying in a meeting that you know i even though we've been around for 10 years i still consider us a startup because up until 2017 from 2009 to 2017 we were very small You know, we were almost like uh, working from out of your house, even though we had offices. But now we're, you know, we're at a scalable, you know, we're scaling at such a a level that we have to implement processes and procedures to operate efficiently. And so, you know, that's what we're really doing in every aspect of the business, not just operationally, but in marketing as well. And how can we, how can we come up with a marketing strategy that's sustainable for us? And we do a lot of cool stuff. You know, we, we do a lip balm. Mystery lip balm campaign last year that was hugely successful for us, and so um you know but our biggest thing is to do you know we got into social, we got into Facebook ads, we got into content creation, and that's all great, and for every business, it makes sense to do that stuff, and I'm a big believer in it, but you know at the at the end of the day, we decided our number one focus should be on practicing what we preach, and so a lot of the marketing we do a lot of the marketing we do is around trying to show clever ways of using promotional products to go to market. So that's what we do.
0: It sounds like this operations and procedures and just continuing this growth with the larger team is like this next business challenge that you're trying to conquer. It's like you're in the middle of it right now.
1: Yeah. Like it's, it's in the top of my head and it's something I talk about a lot because we literally just had an all team meeting to talk about the processes and procedures of ideation so that we can operate efficiently. And, you know, I firmly believe that no matter what your sales numbers are, what your budget is and what your expenses are, that uh, efficiencies drive um, profit. And so, um, yeah. so we talk about where, you know, uh, and I don't recognize it. Uh, one of the slides that I had was a square with somebody look like they colored in a giant, ugly mess of a circle outside the lines. And I told my team, this is my, my mode of operation my default mode of operation and so processes and procedures is not how i see the world um and so right. i'm a creative right so it's something i really really yeah. have to work on and so we talk about it a lot and thank goodness david uh, our cfo that's his bread and butter and going back to yeah. don't be the smartest person in the room uh understand what your weaknesses are and don't you know don't have an ego about it bring in people who can come alongside you and fill in those gaps. And so uh, it pains me to have to do processes and procedures, but man, when we get it right and we implement a process and procedure, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. oh man, I don't want to clean my bedroom, but man, it feels, or my closet out. But when I do, it feels so good. And so, yeah, so that's <laughs> our, that's our big thing. And we had some, we had a gal that worked here who was fantastic, but she had some medical issues and ended up having to leave because of those medical issues. And what we came to find, and that was that position I told you about, that's the office manager, that's the, and she just figured stuff out and we didn't put any process and procedure, or write anything down. And so right, we, right. we didn't know how she did it or what she did while that position was empty and we were filling in for her. And then we didn't know what to tell the new hire yeah. what to do. And so so I'll give you a great example. We have clients that come to us and say, hey, it's the end of the month. It's the end of the year. We want We have $50,000, but we need you to invoice it right now. We're not sure how we're going to use it. So we do that. And then we uh, write sales orders against that once they decide what they want. Well, we were putting the order in production, or we are putting the order, creating invoice, so the order would show that it was invoiced in common SKU. And then we would, I would unlock it and put it back into production, so that we could then consider continue to, um, continue to uh, manage the production of that order once they decided what items they wanted to do. Right. Well, once the cl- customer got done and that was delivered, our account coordinators would put it in, it's already been built. So there was nowhere for it to go for us. So, um, so, the we had to go back into the sales order and move it back into invoice because the system already thinks that we've invoiced it so it's done even though it's back in and so i'm going to you know that's a very simple process but i know about it and i told my team and verbally uh, you know somebody that was directly dealing with that but that's a process that we put down and then we shared it with everyone this is how you handle yeah you know this is how you handle pre-invoiced orders um and so you know we uh so, yeah, so just processes and procedures for as much as we can so that if I'm not here for whatever reason or yeah. we have turnover for whatever reason, that it wasn't head knowledge that walked out the door.
0: Right, right. And I love your point there about co- by codifying these processes, you're freeing yourself as an entrepreneur to let the business run you know, all of these systems and processes are about the entrepreneur empowering the entrepreneur to build a business that can duplicate success, as opposed to be reliant upon whatever's in your head.
1: Yeah, and it's just it's the goal of constantly thinking about: um, can this business operate if I'm not here?
0: Yeah, right, right. Um, You just, in fact, you were just traveling what last week and the week before that, and you know, you, you were you able to operate? I, I know, I know from from hanging out with you that. Work-life balance, we both hate that phrase, but we know what we're saying when we say it. Um, It's very important to you.
1: Yeah, and I've never, in the 10 years that I've had ideation, I've never been able to go on a a vacation. You know, I always say the great thing about our current technology is that you don't have to be handcuffed to a desk to operate and do your work. The great thing about Common SKU and about Office 365 and all those things is that I need an internet connection and a phone Uh, not even an internet connection. I just need a phone and I can write an order. I can do business. And I operated that way as a solopreneur for a long way, a long time. But you know, you don't ever really take time away and turn your brain off when you're doing that. You're just working in a different location, albeit it may be Hawaii or whatever the case may be, but you're still working. Um, And so the great thing about scaling and going back to, you know, I wish I would have hired somebody earlier earlier is like, this is the first year I've been able to take two, kind of prolonged vacations and I still always check in and check my email, but it's a lot of Ford to Allie and Allie, please take care of this type stuff, you know? And so Uh, um, it's, it's been really enjoyable for me. And I tell Allie all the time when I get back, I try and really tell my team constantly how thankful I am for them. I believe that they're my customers just as much as my customers are. And so you know, it's just been a real blessing for me and my family to have somebody that I know and trust to to handle the business. And then Stacy's here and, you know, Andrea's here. There's a lot of people here now that can help me when I go on vacation, just like I help them when they go on vacation. And so, um, so it's been, it's been really, really great. Um, And, you know, I tell my people to go on vacation, to leave that this is, this, this should, this should support their life. This should not be their life. And so, I I think it's very important that I, as the leader of this organi- organization, um, you know, walk the walk, and so I want them to feel yeah, empowered yeah. too. That it's okay to go yeah. on vacation, and your vacation should be a vacation. And I feel like if I spend yeah. my vacation working, and they know that I'm trying to work on vacation, that yeah, that that, that, totally. that the expectation is that 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 they do the same thing, and that's not at all what I want. Yeah, so, nobody should feel like that they need to work more than I work. Because it's not their right. company, and I don't, I don't yeah. expect them to work more than I would work, and and I expect them to work less than I would work, and I would expect them when they're not here that they're not here, and that they're, I don't uh, expect yes. them to Absolutely. answer emails or to yeah. um, call and check in. It's you know,
0: yeah, because ultimately you know you have a healthier employee when when they're that when a healthier employee. Yeah, and I'm constantly trying um, to figure
1: out how to keep people, and we have done a great job of hiring people and keeping people, and so. Um, yeah. You know, I want an environment where, you know, I want people when they leave here, they're, they're, you know, we had a couple of people leave and they were crying when they were leaving, be, uh, not because they were fired, yeah. but because it was the a better life decision for them because of this, that or the other thing, but they did not want to leave. They had to leave. Um, and yeah. that's what yeah. I want. You know, I want, I want people to feel like they're, you know, their family here.
0: Well, Nate, man, this is, this has been, I say that it it has been because we've, we've, you know, we've known each other all these years and watching you uh, from those early days and seeing that in your eyes, you know, where you wanted to go and how you want to grow the business. Yeah. Uh, Stay true to that vision is is encouraging. It's funny
1: that we used to talk about that because it's one of those things where you wanted my life and I wanted your life. And I, and I I even think that I was encouraging you to have my life, um, even on the back of my mind, I wanted you, your life. Um, yeah. but you know, it, 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 it comes with its own challenges, right? I mean, managing people, yeah. is managing yeah. people, um, yeah. and so, yeah. you know, be careful what you wish for. And the biggest thing I think that I, that I learned, um, in our growth stage and, you know, going to Toronto and talking to, to Mark and Catherine and looking at some businesses to acquire that, you know, five million dollars does not mean two million dollars in profit. Five million dollars can mean ninety thousand dollars in profit if you're not careful. <laughs> right? The whole adage, I don't care what your volume is; I care what your bottom line is. And yeah. so that's really yeah. what I've learned is that you know having a ten million dollar company was the goal and at one point. But if ten million dollar company means more man, more headaches for managing people and you know less money. Uh, at the end of the rainbow, then there's not a whole lot of reason to yeah. do that. So I think there's a sweet spot for every, for everyone, you know.
0: You just said much better than what I was trying to say that when I saw that young kid with that ambition in his eyes, I saw that top line guy with those, hitting those numbers, hitting the top 40, hitting whatever list it was, uh, being number one. Uh, and then your value shifting in the sense of who it is that you really wanted to be and what was going to make a healthy business mate been good it's been thanks for hanging yeah, out it great thanks so much for tuning into this episode of skewcast be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to skewcast on itunes or to our blog at community.com and skew.com until next time friends thanks so much for listening